Episode 109. You are joined by legendary guitarist and multi-instrumentalist Bob Bruno of the California-based band Best Coast. At time of release, their new album Always Tomorrow is out now and they're about to kick off the Always Tomorrow tour, which will bring them to a city near you starting this month. Bob is a massive horror fan. He talks about the films he loves, collecting Blu-rays, horror soundtracks, metal, ghosts, Disneyland, and exotic snacks. We also get into their latest music and the making of Always Tomorrow on episode Episode 109, beginning now. Hi, this is Bob Bruno of the band Best Coast, and you're getting creepy with the Boo Crew. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy Studios, an acclaimed guitarist and multi-instrumentalist who is half of a phantasmagoric California-based musical duo, after releasing their debut Crazy For You in 2010, became a pop phenomenon, went straight to the Billboard charts, instantly became the focus of countless blogs and buzz sites, and were declared the best band of that year by NME. That momentum has not ceased. They are at the cusp of releasing their fourth studio album, Always Tomorrow, out February 21st on Concord Records, followed by a tour of North America beginning this month, and some UK dates added in May announced. We are honored to welcome the legend, Bob Bruno, of Halt Pop Rockers Extraordinaire Best Coast. Yeah! <laughs> thanks for having me. Hey, thanks yeah. for being here, man. And congrats on the birth of the new album. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time in the works. How long have these songs been around in various stages of development, be it as like riff ideas or titles or melodies? I'd imagine you've been living this record in some form or another for a very, very long time. Yeah, I think the first demo which was for the song everything has changed beth might have done it in like the end of 2016 or something oh wow yeah it's been a while we did a kids record in between the california nights and this record yeah my kids love it oh they do awesome (laughs) yeah i put it on and scarlett even was like i know this song i don't know how she found it but it's really it's so cute thanks yeah it was really fun to make yeah, so for like all, pretty much all of last year was spent not in one chunk, but for the most part in and out of studios working on stuff and before that demoing things and doing pre-production. So what's it like to finally decide, yes, it sounds the way we want. It's time to let these out in the world. No going back now. It was a great relief. This is the longest we've ever spent on a record by a mile. So... We're not used to, you know, having it take so long. And so we get, at least, you know, towards the end, I was getting not impatient, but you just want to move on to the next step of, of touring and playing new songs live and stuff. So it felt really good. And then I didn't listen to it for a couple months after that. So I, I can imagine. Get palate <laughs> cleanser. Yeah. 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 Was yeah. there any like particular holdup uh, reason, you know, why I was taking so long? It was, t- you know, we tried. Working with a couple different people before we settled on the team that we did this record with, 
and uh you know it took us a while to write the songs and then we did probably a month almost a month maybe three weeks or so of pre-production just refining things and um yeah just a there was just a lot of steps and then you know there's always holidays and stuff that force a break or whatever so and then yeah you were on that uh fred savage oh, show yeah, yeah, for yeah. most of for a lot <laughs> of last year as well right <laughs> yeah that was taped in two chunks and uh that was pretty crazy because we'd never done anything like that and also just having to write music for the show really quickly and also just writing five second songs sure <laughs> writing the theme song was the most challenging thing because that one was a little longer and it went through about five or six revisions before it finally got to the one that was used on the show what was the process like who kind of was the gatekeeper to bring you on to the show and imagine a fan of best coast obviously it was it was fred savage it was oh, wow nice. which was really cool like they they had talked to our management and to see if we were interested and we we're like yeah so we went down to where they taped and well where they were going to tape they were still like doing all the writing and stuff back then and we had a meeting with fred and uh he's the nicest guy and uh we just seemed to kind of click with him and so yeah that's how it was because of him <laughs> <laughs> so awesome cool. so the cool. little interstitial songs and everything else that you did would you have to like clear them by fred or was there what, what was that process uh, like? i think there was probably some kind of music person but i mean fred would hear them the writers would hear them yeah um the producers so the i we weren't around thankfully we weren't around when they would you know okay things. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it was all through email because we'd basically me and nick reinhardt who played in the band for that and Bethany would just sit in my living room and, uh, you know, we'd have the scripts and they'd kind of give like a, sometimes they'd give a description about what kind of cue they needed. Huh. And then other times it's like for all the walkouts for the guests, we would just try to get the vibe of the guests. Like for Kevin Smith, we tried to do a song that was like, uh, the one he, he's dancing to in front of the store in clerk. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> that was like for his, his walkout. We, we tried to have that kind of vibe. And so it's a lot of things like that. That is so <laughs> fun. Cool. That's so fun. So we want to talk about, obviously we're going to talk about the new album in a bit as well, but we wanted to cut to the chase. Although you might not wear this influence in an obvious way on your musical sleeve, you're actually a big horror fan. Oh yeah. It's, I'm super into horror and, I probably buy more Blu-rays, DVDs now than I do albums. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Where did your love of horror begin? What was the first thing you saw that made you fall in love with horror? I think it was when I was really young, I, I would just read books and would, I don't know if my mom would take me or like, there's like scholastic book clubs and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. They I still would, have those, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I, I live across from a school and they had a, a poster for the book fair. And it was like, oh, wow, they still do those? That's yep. insane. <laughs> Either there or used bookstores. I would just, I just gravitated towards monster movie books. And uh, before I'd seen any of the movies, I would just read about them. Like, uh, and back then it was all mostly universal horror stuff mm -hmm. and hammer mm -hmm. and then they'd always throw in like nosferatu and like edison's frankenstein and things like that so like all the black and white stuff and then 
growing up in the late 70s, early 80s, that's when I started to actually get to see the movies, you know, that I was allowed to see. I couldn't watch everything at first, but actually what made the biggest impact and made me want to see them even more besides the books was just seeing the commercials on TV because some of them were... (laughs) really like scarier than movies like the ones that still stick out are the one for magic oh the puppet yeah with just a close-up of the puppet's head really slow pan over that and then when a stranger calls that one that played before greece when i saw it in the theater and i was so freaked out like (laughs) i I couldn't think about greece i was like (laughs) that movie looks terrifying um and then i remember when it was like late at night and the TV commercial for Nightmare on Elm Street came out. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. just how gritty that looked because, you know, I would, it was that movie is just filmed so much darker than what was around at the time. And then whoever did the narration had just one of those scary like movie trailer voices. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but I think just like how kind of low budget and dark it was, was like really kind of, it's, and it was on it like. I think I was watching movie macabre or something. So it came out late at night on like a Saturday or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, man. All those, those trailers in like the late seventies and eighties. Oh, oh that, number hey. one, Halloween three. Oh, it was just season the, of the witch. Yeah. Yeah. That just the song <laughs> with like the pumpkin thing. Happy, happy Halloween. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that, that scared the fuck out of me. <laughs> it was on, it came on during Saturday night live. Like, it was a rare weekend where I was allowed to stay up late and that commercial <laughs> came on and I was like really scared by that. Was that actually part of the marketing campaign using that section of the movie with the Halloween pumpkin flashing on the screen? I, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, wow, yeah. that's genius. That's so great. So what was the first one that you remember seeing all the way through on your own? I don't know if it was on my own. Like I probably watched it with a friend or something, sure. but uh, The Shining mm. was probably yes. the first one like in the early days of like on tv or z channel oh yeah like all those early cable channels it was on one of those and that was the first one and you know that was a good one to start out with man those are the days when on tv z channel and hbo played a whole hell of a lot of horror movies yeah yeah because it was like once the sunset it was all horror yeah yeah (laughs) you see movies like softcore porn (laughs) (laughs) all those channels showed at night (laughs) do you remember what like was there a parallel to you in your musical development when you were discovering horror as well that didn't happen until early teens or even a little preteen probably when thrash metal came out, because a lot of the guys in those bands would wear like horror themed shirts. Yeah. Like, yeah. You'd kind of find out about movies that way if like someone had an Evil Dead shirt on or, you know, whatever, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, things like that. So that was kind of when those two worlds intersected. And it wasn't until later, like, that I started collecting soundtracks and stuff from horror movies. Like, that was probably in my late teens, early 20s. Wow. What was the first time you, there was a notable horror soundtrack that uh, caught your attention? Again, The Shining. Shining. Uh, the Pederecki stuff in there yeah. is really awesome. And then, I mean, Halloween, of course, like the, that was iconic. And then it's not even music, really, but the, the stuff in Texas Chainsaw Massacre is really incredible. Oh, the, the echoes and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was just toby hooper and his friend just running stuff through a delay like hitting pieces of metal and stuff yeah <laughs> and uh, 
Yeah, I wish they could find those elements because that would probably be the best. Like as far as something I would want released, and I know people have tried to find that stuff and it's just gone. I guess that would be awesome to have to hear. Being a fan of The Shining, did you get a chance to check out Mike Flanagan's Doctor Sleep? I have not, but <gasps> so I want good. to watch it. It's yeah. so good. The trailer looked really awesome. I just I don't go to the movie theater that often because. As soon as someone looks at their screen or something, I'm like so furious. Like, yeah, 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 I have oh, the same yeah. problem. So, <laughs> that's why you got to go to the uh, what's our, was it the Alamo Draft the House Alamo where they like yeah. kill people yeah, for tickets. Yeah, we'll behead you. I went there to see Midsummer, the director's <laughs> oh, cut. Cool, nice. Uh, so yeah, that place is amazing. Uh, there's a theater kind of by my house, and if I want to see a movie, I'll go to like Monday at 10:30 p.m. and that is usually pretty mellow. Right. Nice. Uh, but a lot of times I just wait for the the Blu-ray because I'm also like one of those guys, like I'm a, I love director's commentaries. And so I always want to hear those like right after I watch the movie, I'll usually go right and play it again so I can hear the commentary. Yeah. Watch guys. the commentary. What are, are the, do you have a, uh, any faves when it comes to uh, ones <clears throat> that you've seen with director's commentary that you love? Uh, Texas Chainsaw is a really good one just talking about the music talking about the house and toby hooper points out just kind of kind of goofy stuff like huh. the scene where before he slams the door when leatherface is running into the house there's like a chicken like some birds in a cage and he just kind of elbows it to get a reaction out of the bird so, <laughs> so that they will like do something yeah and I don't pick up on that, but he's like, yeah, he just did that. So the birds would oh, wow. like, <laughs> act in the scene. And <laughs> Yeah, um, those those elements are awesome to, <laughs> there to was, uncover. There was an actor in that movie. I can't recall. It was a Caroline uh, Williams. Uh, Caroline Williams in the second one. Second one, no. So, so Marilyn Burns? One, Marilyn Burns? Burns I think. Yeah, yeah. It was somebody the first one talking about the costumes in that movie and how hot it was and they were shooting oh, that, yeah. that everybody was just reeking. It was just smelling horrible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gross. <laughs> so the house just smelled like how it everything. looked, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and probably everything in there was actually rotted, rotted bones yeah. or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, did you end up in in your search in thrash metal and black metal and all that stuff was any of that stuff as mystifying or as dark or scary as some of the films there's some black metal like there's this kind of loose group of bands in france called le legion noir okay Hmm. that was just all these kind of lo-fi one man or two person bands mostly and uh a lot of this stuff only came out on cassette and it's really lo-fi minimal kind of stuff. So finding out about that stuff and just trying to track down the different releases through like finding rips of the tapes and stuff on blogs. That was, that was really interesting. And then mid two thousands, there was a couple like there's Zaster and Leviathan who are both California black metal bands and they're very mysterious and didn't give a lot of interviews and stuff. And then, this documentary came out called One Man Metal, and uh, both of them are in that, so that was cool to kind of have the veil lifted and see what these guys were like. Yeah. Did that kill the, uh, the buzz for you? Do you know, the scene? No, it, it just made me, like, made them even more relatable. Oh, sure. Nice. nice. <clears throat> I've read about these, these guys a couple times. They're apparently from Holland, and they're called Gulag. Mm, and they they've also been gone by the name of Stalag, mm-hmm. and 
they put out a few records and each one is recorded either in a different mental institution or asylum of some sorts. And I think Vice did a thing about them and how it's like even hard to listen to because (laughs) allegedly some of the people like one of the people who I did guest vocals, one of the asylum patients was like locked away for stabbing his mom 30 times when he was 16. So he's just screaming into the microphone and it's just like slow, dirgy black metal stuff. And um, yeah, they released like three albums. One's a bunch of kids from an asylum and uh, then there's a women's asylum. Apparently one of the people in the collective, and of course there's, it's all shrouded in mystery. No yeah. one knows who they are. There's rumors there in different black metal bands that are currently, yeah. you know, in terms of existence. But yeah, if you're listening, check it out if you, uh, <laughs> if you feel adventurous. <laughs> so what do you consider some horror benchmarks for you, the films that you tend to watch over and over again, the classics in your mind? I mean, Shining... Of course, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby, mm. um, first two Hellraisers. Yeah, I love. Kind of, well, not total horror, but like Alien, Aliens. I really like, and then you know all the John Carpenter stuff. Like this is all, all the classics. Friday the Thirteenth up till. I think four is kind of my cutoff. Okay, so, yeah. Final chapter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's that's my favorite one, actually. Final chapter. Corey, Corey Feldman. Corey Feldman, yeah. Crispin Glover. Crispin Glover. Yeah, yeah. He does Sabini the best dance doing that movie, on it. Yeah. <laughs> he does. <laughs> Where's the corkscrew? Right. I love that. I love that. So an interesting thing about Best Coast, for instance, is that you guys have always been a group that is very successful on physical media. I even read a statistic somewhere that you uh, listeners of Best Coast are still grabbing CDs versus streaming and 20% actually still reaching for vinyl copies. So I was wondering in terms of you as a consumer going out and, you know, getting Blu-rays and collecting horror films and also releasing music in physical media. How is that important to you or why is that important to you? I just don't want to see that stuff go away. So it's good. I'm glad people still support it with us. And I try and support it with, you know, anything that I'm a fan of, whether it's a band or a movie or, you know, writers or people that make anything that somebody's actually, you know, putting their time into things that a lot of people have already written off is like, Oh, those are from the past or like we're past that era because I don't think that's true. It may not be on a mass level like it used to be, but none of that stuff is going away anytime soon. I mean, you just look at how many boutique or, imprints there are now as far as blu-rays and dvds it's like the best time to be collecting movies right now and um it seems like new ones pop up all the time and a lot of those things sell out really quickly same with the resurgence of horror movie scores coming out on vinyl like from like death waltz and waxwork and all the stuff that popped up after those it's awesome it's like things that you never thought you would see getting physical releases so it's just more of a niche thing but that's fine with me it's like that's interesting especially with the horror you know, movies in general that there's so many releases that never made it to dvd in the first place oh they're, yeah they're not coming to blu-ray for example yeah but they're not going to streaming yeah so they're going to like blu-ray specifically for you know, limited releases or so but it, that's really interesting it's like you know it's like it's it's, it's the blu-ray still has a life yeah i mean movies just like records you know 
it's something you want to experience the really good things you know more than once right and like i have a, such a backlog of dvds that i need to go through still but my i'm also a really moody viewer so one week i might be obsessed with like japanese horror and then another week i just want to watch paul nashi movies or whatever so. <laughs> are you a fan of Mike's work uh, japanese, oh yeah. yeah i was a hardcore like obsessive for a long time i've kind of not kept up as much but the few that i've seen of the more recent movies i for the most part i still like them like uh i think my it's kind of older now but like lessons of evil that one was probably the last one of his that i was super blown away by and then audition of course oh yeah that's a classic man classic (laughs) gotta show everyone that one (laughs) ichi the killer that one more than audition i think it's like (laughs) yeah a fave have you ever had any paranormal experience or believe in the paranormal there is one place i went to it's a it's actually a club in los angeles called fado dough Oh, I haven't heard of it. Oh, where is that? It's down kind of by La Brea and I forget the cross street, but it's kind of like, you know, when you take La Brea to get to LAX kind of like, like oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 it's kind of in, in that area. So it's very South La Brea. Like by the forum. Um, not that far, but okay. like, um, by like Magic Johnson's TGI Fridays. Oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of in that area. But I went in there and it's a very old club. And the first time I went in there, I kind of had like this place feels haunted and the decor it was like i don't know if it was like influenced by like new orleans kind of stuff because it did kind of remind me of like disneyland oh cool yeah pirates yeah kind of vibe (laughs) nice but no but that was probably one of the few i remember we played this venue in somewhere in uh wisconsin the rave in milwaukee was the rave I don't know. Is that the place in the basement? There's a abandoned swimming pool. It used to be this big kind of oh, resort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is. yeah. And it's right by Jeffrey Dahmer's yes. apartment. Yes, yeah. yes. yes. So when we played there, Beth actually downloaded like some ghost hunting app. <laughs> we went down to the to the pool afterwards, and it's pitch black down there. And we were trying to see if we could find anything, but no, nothing happened. But I remember my dad told me when he was a kid and this was not like him trying to scare me he was very serious about it but he said he woke up one night and saw the devil at the foot of his bed Holy like shit. peering up at him wow and he like multiple times it was and it would just come up randomly like and he had some other kind of experience like that but i've never had any any things like that would you want something like that or no <laughs> i don't know and why not <laughs> oh there was one time on tour too where this is like the early days of best coast like probably our first or second tour where we all shared one room and we were watching tv one night and there was like weird banging in the room and it like bumps and stuff and like beth stood up and she's like told the ghost to get out and then everything stopped whoa but, wow. like her mom is like into that stuff okay so. She's like, I know what to do, basically. And like, she stood up and told the ghosts to leave, and <laughs> that they weren't welcome there or whatever. And then it all ceased, which was pretty trippy. So that that's probably cool. the most paranormal oh, that's crazy. experience I've That's had. a good story. Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Does Bethany share your love of horror at all? I think so. But uh, 
sometimes I'll recommend something and she's like, oh, too scary. But it's usually not. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. What is scary to her or what makes something scary is like not typical. So it's hard to tell. But on tour, I always bring a book of DVDs to watch. And half of them are music documentaries. And then the rest are either horror or really bad like action movies sure um, <laughs> like canon films and yeah, stuff and yeah. all that stuff <laughs> yeah like the last tour i was real i was in a big jan michael vincent phase so oh, wow. wow i bought a bunch of that kind of stuff and uh i brought ricky o which nobody had seen and or the story of ricky yeah and uh, that one is a big crowd pleaser. That's incredible. <laughs> Does being on the road afford uh, different collecting opportunities? Do you make that a point of if there's a certain DVD stores or anything that you go out and do searching? Oh, yeah, it, yeah, definitely. There's one place in Atlanta called Criminal Records. Whoever does the DVD curating there knows what's up. Like wow. They have a lot of good stuff. The best, though, and the guy looked at me when i went to check out like i was out of my fucking mind like <laughs> it was uh hmv in the uk really okay yeah and they were having this big sale on aero stuff and 88 films were like some of the 88 stuff was like five pounds for oh my god so i took up like 25 titles probably that's amazing and, uh, <laughs> i'm sure they're they're used to like selling like one yeah <laughs> based on his reaction that seemed like what they're the excessive was. they're like yeah. whoa <laughs> yeah they cleaned but, them out <laughs> yeah that was a big buy and it was so worth it oh that's incredible yeah. man your dvd library sounds insane <laughs> it's also fun to like uh, one of the going back to just collecting physical media one of the fun things too is is i love being able to lend things out too oh yeah, yeah. and you know when someone walks into your place and just like you used to have your albums and stuff on display it kind of says something about who you are too yeah. which is it's a fun thing yeah yeah that's how my whole house is basically it's just like stuff everywhere my dream would be to have a dvd blu-ray rental place that was just tiny and all curated kind of like i don't know if you ever went to mondo video that was out here it was in the valley somewhere in the uh no it was uh it started on los Feliz. oh yes yes and then later moved to melrose the los Feliz location was hilarious because the neighbors hated this place and they would leave me notes <laughs> to the proprietor and he would just hang them up in the window oh, that's amazing and eventually that's so he was awesome. kind of forced out but this place was that's insane true. it was like there's movies I've seen there that I still can't find, even with the internet. And they just had so much stuff. Like, they would take... The way they displayed everything was they'd photocopy the box or whatever and put it on a crappy piece of cardboard. And then they'd, they'd usually group things by genre, and you would rifle through. And you could just, you know, whatever your mood was, you could find some really, like, <laughs> obscure, messed up kind of movies to watch. Wow! <laughs> so amazing. I would like to have a store like that. That is, like closet sized dvd kind of place right is there any particular movie or dvd that has become an elusive collectible for you that you just you're looking for there probably is i can't think of them right now i mean i love the um the label mondo macabro uh-huh and they do a lot of limited stuff so there's some of those that i've missed out on because they either go too quickly or i forgot the sale was happening right so there's a couple of those I don't have. And then some of the older titles that are out of print now. But every once in a while, I'll have some eBay luck. 
and I can find them for not a lot of money. Actually, the one DVD I really want is the uncut Night of the Demon. Oh, Wait, yeah. Oh. There was one edition that came out that has the guy, the biker getting his dick ripped off scene on it. And that's way out of print. And the one that circulates now that's not a bootleg is cut. So, and that was another movie I saw when I was a, like preteen. Oh, really such a great movie. Traumatized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that was the most like gory specific kind of movie like that I had seen up at, up until that point. Is there a particular memory you have that is, uh, I don't know, the most memorable as far as seeing a horror film in a theater? Oh, in a theater. Yeah. Um, hmm. Seeing Blair Witch in the theater <sighs> was pretty fun. Yeah. yeah. Especially because I saw it where I grew up, which is like North Valley. Like, I, I went to La Crescenta. This, this same movie theater I go to when I want to see a movie that's still there. So it's just a very normal, like, kind of town. And so, but it was a sold out show. Wow. It was opening weekend. So it was like when everybody was trying to see it. And yeah, it was an event. Yeah. That was a fun experience. Yeah. There hasn't really been uh, anything. Well, maybe paranormal activity came somewhat close, but nothing is presented as this actually occurred than the Blair Witch, which was, oh my God, that movie scared the shit out of me still to this day. Yeah. It's terrifying. Is there a film that you can think of that actively is one of the scariest you've seen? Shining still. Wow. Like the bathtub scene. Mm -hmm. That fucked me up as a little kid and it still is uncomfortable to watch. I don't know. On the right night, the exorcist can still be kind of scary. (laughs) Um, What what, what about that movie scares you? Just the vibe. Like it's not even a specific thing, but just the, I think part of it is just imagining how terrible that bedroom must smell (laughs) after (laughs) everything that's gone on in there. (laughs) And like everybody's all sweaty and like pasty and stuff. So that, that really kind of grosses me out. (laughs) I'm curious, has there ever been a musical moment in best coast that has been directly inspired by a horror film that you can best Um, recollect? I don't know. Probably not. I think the closest is like, I forget which Twilight movie it was, but they were trying to have people write songs to pitch for the wedding. Oh, really? Yeah. So we wrote one and we sent it to them, but they picked something else. But that was probably the closest. Wow. Will we ever hear the uh, unused Twilight (laughs) (laughs) Twilight wedding Uh, theme? I'd be surprised if it ever comes out. You you never know. Maybe one day if we do a rarities and we need some deep cuts to put out there. Oh, that's so cool. I just want to talk a little bit about your love of the obscure snack. Yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like the Indiana Jones of snacks. (laughs) It is seriously impressive. Oh, thank you. Like, how do you find out about these things? Are you part of like a group or like? Um, It's a lot of different things. I have friends that will send me things like photos. Like I saw this or fans too. We'll do that now. It's gotten to the point where they know about it. There's a site called uh, Brand Eating that I visit. And that mostly focuses on like fast food. But once in a while, they'll have some good snack things. And then there's a site. 
think it's called or Instagram like Tokyo Treats or something, and they always post all the Kit Kat stuff, which I'm obsessed with. And but yeah, anytime I go to a market or see a vending machine, I have to look because <laughs> there could be you know something I don't know about. And, um, yeah. So a lot of this stuff is like limited edition, right? Yeah. So like. In your past, what has been the most amazing thing that you've tasted and is now gone? And what oh, has yeah. been the nastiest thing you've tasted <laughs> oh, and is now that gone? Is, that's a good question. <laughs> trying to think what the best is that's still not available. Some of the Lay's like limited flavors. Oh, the, it was one of, we got the, my friend got, found the last bag on tour and it was, and then they reissued it not that long ago, but it might be gone again because I don't see them. But it was, um, I think it was like deep fried pickles in ranch was the flavor. Uh, interesting. Oh, wow. Wow. That's very specific. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I had the bag and I was like, oh my God, these are so good. And then didn't see them the rest of the tour. And I, I went on eBay and people were selling <laughs> no like bags of them for like, I think just the tiny snack bag. Someone wanted like, Sixteen dollars. Oh my god! Just for a little bag, and I was like, "Oh wow, I guess I did. I've had some rare ones." Then, wow. Uh, the most elusive one right now is, I know uh, Uts made them, and then another company made them, but they're um, Italian hoagie flavor, which I love. Italian subs is like one of my favorite things to eat, so I really got to find those chips. And I mean, I found a box on on ebay also but i didn't want to commit to buying you know a case of 24 yeah. bags but it may come to that like if i get desperate enough i, I will do it where is your favorite favorite place to get an italian sub mario's italian yes. Deli. Yes. Glendale. Glendale yes is my favorite yeah. i've been going there forever you know it's a good runner up is uh east side market oh i've heard that's really good echo park in there. there yeah I love Jersey Mike's. Yeah, me okay? and Beth are obsessed with Jersey Mike's. Is up there. It it's is so wow. freaking yeah, good. Yeah, Lauren's obsessed with Jersey Mike's. We just had it last week. Like Beth was doing a day of interviews, and then I had to go over to sign. We both had to sign a bunch of the new records for people that ordered them. And she's like, "Hey, can you bring me Jersey Mike's on your way here? Yes. I have no time." And it's like, yeah, "Absolutely." <laughs> it is so good. It tastes like the beach. That's what Lauren says. It tastes like the beach. Really? I still it's, don't get what it. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> Sand? I don't know. <laughs> like you would have it at the beach. The freshness. The yes, yeah, I guess that's what it is. I think there's, there's yeah. You there's, don't get that at the Subway. Shredded lettuce. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah that 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 is that's a good point actually. I never thought about. Yeah yeah. And they're they're cutting the meat there yeah, fresh right in front. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I'm really bummed they took away the chicken parm sandwich, which I used to get a the giant size of the Italian and wow. then a giant chicken parm, but they don't have the chicken parm. That so. sucks. I didn't even realize that. You know, the, the, she loves Jersey Mike so much that she oh, went God. to get Jersey Mike's for us one day oh. and she walked in and the dude cutting the turkey was holding his hand. Oh. And it was covered. He had sliced his oh. thumb in the in the meat thing. And they're like, everyone, they're like, don't worry, we're sanitizing the machine. It'll just be a few seconds. And I'm like, so you left, right? She's like, no. And she showed me the sandwiches. I'm like, that wasn't enough. They couldn't sanitize that thing enough for me. There's no way. I would have done the exact same thing. <laughs> I fucking ate it. It was yeah, yeah. so good. Like, Fuck it. We're I would be totally unfazed. The <laughs> paramedics were there. Everybody was like giving the green light. I was not going to waste my number seven. I'm 
sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jersey Mike. <laughs> have so many points right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I want to try the grilled, uh, you posted grilled steak Doritos. Oh, the <laughs> the Jurassic Park one? We're, yeah, we're the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were, my friend sent them from Montreal. Oh. They weren't available down here. Yeah, Canada's got some, I'm from Canada originally, so it's interesting, uh, yeah, well, they get interesting stuff. And those were Canada. good. I saw your corn soup with peppercorn Oh, yeah. Snacks. I haven't tried those yet. Those, those, those are still, look interesting. Yeah. I wanted to know how those were. But we I still have them. them yet, but I will. As soon as I, I'll post a review. Yeah, you let me know. <laughs> better what? eat those before they expire. <laughs> it's funny because there's, there's like two brands that made that now. I, I got those at Murakai in Little Tokyo. And um, I was like, oh, that's a new flavor. And then I was like, and then you see a competing brand with the same flavor. It was like that one and Cod Row, which I would never get because I don't like any ocean stuff. But um, that was another flavor with multiple brands making it. What about the turkey stuffing kettle chips? Did you try oh, those? Wow. Oh, yeah. Those are so good. Kettle those chips are really awesome good. just in yeah. general. They, they tasted exactly like stuffing. But wow. Is there a country that has the best snacks? Ooh, Japan. I yeah. Mean, you can't. They're untouchable. Japan pretty much is the best at everything. It's like my favorite Disney park is Tokyo and Tokyo Disney Sea. And yeah, the snacks, the ch- the candies, the chips. Baskin Robbins over there is insane. Oh, really? What's different? They got more about more it? than thirty two. Thirty one. There's just 31. like <laughs> all these weird colored ice creams that they have. Um, it's it's next level there. Oh, that sounds so good. I want to hear about the Disney experience. I mean, we're huge Disney nerds. Oh, so yeah, what's the too. Disney experience like over there that's next um, level? I mean, Journey to the Center of the Earth is probably after Haunted Mansion, which is more like just sentimental. I just love that ride. But Journey to the Center of the Earth is like one of the most amazing rides I've ever been on. Like, because it's like, you know, dark ride roller coaster there's a giant kaiju that shoots fire at you oh, shit. Shit. Wow. <laughs> which is like there's a whole psychedelic part where you just go through it's like all fluorescent like mushrooms and stuff and that's in the uh was it mysterious island is the land that that's in so there's that and oh you go in an elevator to get to the ride and you know, you're going to the center of the earth, so it gets hot in the elevator. Like oh, wow. Oh, hot. So cool. <laughs> and, uh, and then across from that is the submarine ride, which is way different than the ones out here, where you're in kind of like a four-person sub, and it's all like Jules Verne, steampunk looking, and you go underwater, and you see all these crazy, like, deep-sea creatures, and then you find out that an alien ship has crashed, in the ocean and you see these a waving aliens that are not threatening they're just kind of happy <laughs> of course they Disney live, aliens they live in the ocean um <laughs> that's cool and then a lot of tokyo disney the regular park just reminds me of old disneyland they still have country bear although half of it's in japanese which but that's kind of cool yeah and then haunted mansion is essentially the same except there's no hallway thing. You get into the doom buggy and you go through the paintings that way. Oh, that's oh, cool. So there's like that's no, so cool. no walk part. Is it oh. called, is it still called the haunted man? What do they call it? There? It's still haunted mansion. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I saw a ride through of 
they're the version of Haunted Mansion that's in Shanghai. It's Shanghai, yeah. It's called Mystic Manor. Oh, that's in Hong Kong. I that went is on that. Hong Kong. Yeah, you, yeah. You've been on that? Yeah, yeah. That was we played in Hong Kong, and our booking agent told the promoter, "You have to get them Disney tickets." <laughs> That's the way to do it. It's yeah. on the rider. Yeah. <laughs> if you want them to play out there, that's one of the conditions. And they did. And they, our host who put up the show was awesome. He went with us and uh, it was great because no one was there. So I just walked on to Mystic Manor, which is incredible. I went on a, they have this weird bear like kind of train ride. That's kind of like a scaled down version of Expedition Everest in Florida. Because there's a part where you go up to the top, oh, and the track's back. bent, yeah, and then you go backwards. backwards yeah. When that happened, Beth cut so scared. She's like, is this supposed to happen? <laughs> but yeah, it's part of the ride. It's all an um, illusion. <laughs> and it was Halloween time there, so it was extra amazing. Because insane. When you walk in the courtyard of the park, there's a huge statue of Chernabog that they bring out for Halloween. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm obsessed with him. Huh. So That's he is his rare kind of to see him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he looks awesome, and it's just like this big statue of him, full color. Why the hell don't they do that? I know, right? Damn it. <laughs> oh uh, my God. And yeah, Mystic Mystic Manor is all scored by Danny Elfman. Elfman yeah. It's like a whole entire Danny Elfman score to hear. Yep. And no tra- a trackless, I think, too. Yeah, right? yeah that it's ride. one of the magnetic rides. Like uh, oh. Winnie the Pooh in Tokyo is that way, too. Oh, oh, wow. And I remember when I went on the one out here, I was like, oh, this is a really great ride. And then I went on the one in Tokyo, I was like, wow, we really got hosed. <laughs> oh, like, it's. Nah, you can't even compare the two. Wow. What was your experience like the very first time you rode the Haunted Mansion? I just, it's weird to say, but like, I just felt comfortable. Like, yeah, this is, this feels like home to me. Like (laughs) if I could have a house like this, that it's totally my vibe. And just like my house, I keep pretty dark, like most of the time. Sure. And yeah, it's, it's just comforting. Like to go on that ride is just like, I've always said this about Disneyland, but it's specifically that ride. Like, it's just, I feel centered when I go there. And I think that's a thing that a lot of people that grow up here that have been going there most of their lives, like, can relate to. But yeah, it's just like, it's like a second home almost. But I don't know. It feels better than going to my actual, you know, where I grew up. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Do you remember how old you were around when you first rode it? Um, I had to have been like, Probably like five or six, something wow. like that. Yeah, that's a, that. I, I totally know. I, I agree with your sentiment. I was I first time I wrote it was moving out here from Canada in 2005, and Lauren took me, and I just I couldn't believe it. That and Pirates of the Caribbean. It was just like it was. You know, they were hard to explain to people who hadn't yeah. been to Disneyland, and I loved that about it. You know, yeah. yeah. There's always like skeptics and stuff that question my love of. Like, oh, Disney, like corporate or like, why do you love Disneyland? It's like full of tourists and stuff. And it's like, you don't understand that it's probably the biggest art project right. that yeah. exists. Yeah. Like everything in there is with a purpose and it's, it is art. It's living art. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah. All the smells that are there intentionally in the yeah. different lands. And like, are you big into all that lore? Like, do you just love looking at the history of Disney? And oh, all that yeah, stuff? yeah, yeah. I have yeah. a lot of books about the park and stuff. Oh, yeah. Nice. Have you seen the one that's just all about, it came out last year. 
just all the old restaurants that they used to have. No. And I think it has recipes and stuff. No. I forget the title, but um, yeah, I was blown away when I saw that. I was like, okay, I have to get this. And I need that. It's That's really crazy. cool. And some of the dishes, because, you know, when you think about 50s, 60s cuisine, it's just bizarre. Sure. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it's really interesting read. Wow. That is no, that's freaking awesome. Did you guys ever get to ride the Lily Bell? Which one was that? It's the car. It's the final oh, yeah. car they attached to the railroad, Disney Railroad. Oh, no. I've, I've never been. If that. you ever get a chance, ride it, especially at night. Oh, okay. Because uh, what they do is they lock you in into the car. Oh, was wow. it special? Like, you have, to, you have to reserve it or something? If you know somebody who can get you in, or if you if you ever go like Club, 30, Club 33 guest, oh. you, can, you can request it. But yeah, that, that car is haunted. Oh, man. I would love to. And that was like designed by Walt Disney's wife. It was for his wife. Okay. Wow. And the cool thing is you're sitting in this car and it's got these like plush seats you can sit Mm -hmm. on. It's got actual books that he used to read and portraits of her and him together. It's like just an unusual car because it's not like a, you know, you sit down on a bench or strap in or anything. Like you're actually sitting on a plush seat. Yeah. You know, it's it's so, and so the, would have presidents and dignitaries from all countries, you know, VIPs and all that, you know, but yeah, it's got a lot of history there. Named after her, of course, you know. Wow, someone showed me a bar in Phoenix that looks like one of those rail cars. And they have it so the window, well, the fake windows look like you're actually moving. Oh, wow. It's, it's just a cool bar. Wow, yeah. I want to do that in yeah, the I really, house. I really got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should. This is awesome. They should do the suspensions, like everything moves gently enough. Yeah, that would be really <laughs> I want to cool. do that in my house, too. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, just switching over, switching over to music, too, but still in the magic uh, of everything. For a time, you were on the other side of the big screen as assistant to the composer and musician John Bryan. Yeah. Right? who did Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind yeah, and Punch Drunk Love and Paranorman. What did you learn about that side of the magic of film that stayed with you? I don't know if it's a, well, this is not, the biggest takeaway I had was like, I thought the music industry was dirty, but like film is even worse. Like, <laughs> way more, because there's more money at stake. So it makes sure. sense. It's more like cutthroat. More hands but, are in, yeah. involved, right? Um, but I mean, that that was amazing. Like John Bryan is one of my favorite musicians and I used to go see him religiously like every Friday at old Largo. Nice. And then when I got the job working for him, which was just mind blowing to me, it was amazing. Cause he's such an incredible person and smart person and getting to see his process was just awesome. And then I remember John's not, really big on the phone and stuff especially back then this is like the early days of cell phones and stuff so i would get calls and uh so i got a voicemail one day and was like oh uh i'm calling on behalf of this director michelle gondry and he would like you know to meet with john and i didn't know who that was i was like okay whatever like there would be a lot of calls like that and a lot of times it would not be something cool and i told john i was like oh by the way and he knew who he was he's like Oh, wow. Okay. Like, and so, you know, they met and they really hit it off. And so just, you know, Michelle would just come by the studio and he's a drummer. So they would just kind of jam sometimes. And then getting to see John work on that score and assemble that score was like incredible. And like Charlie Kaufman would come by once in a while no and like just to see that guy's like, you know, his mind is next level. Yeah. When you hear him talk about stuff or explaining things from the movie, just like, wow, there's like so much that I didn't even pick up on that you're 
telling us. And I would just, I just got to sit there and be a fly on the wall and like, you know, but yeah, so I was around when he did that. I was around when they were finishing, putting the finishing touches on Punch Drunk Love. And that, that's one of my favorite John Squirt. Like that one in Eternal Sunshine. Yeah. My favorite. And then like, I'd kind of stopped working them after Eternal Sunshine because I had some family stuff I had to deal with. I think I went by during Huckabee's for cool. a bit, which was cool. But yeah, I mean, it was like the probably the most iconic song in like Eternal Sunshine, the like guitar strumming thing that a lot of people use. Like I was there when that got created. So That's so great. Get to see that and then have them play it for Michelle. Michelle be like, wow, yes, that's like more of that, you know, kind of thing uh, was, you know, something I'll never forget. It wow. was awesome. Oh, that's so that's cool. Amazing. Yeah. He worked on one of my all time favorite albums, uh, spilt milk by jellyfish. Oh yeah. 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 He, he played guitar on a lot of that. Yeah. Album. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Insane. Insane. Do yeah. you have any stories? And then another that? film composer, uh, Lyle Workman. Yeah. Yeah. They right. both did all the, like pretty much all the guitars on that record. That's insane. I wanted to ask about the, uh, the new album always tomorrow. So, We'll get into it. Traditionally, the songwriting process has kind of started off as a singular journey embarked by you and Beth that intersects at some point. Yeah, normally Beth will write the song just on guitar and vocal and she'll send it to me and then I kind of figure out bass drums, my lead stuff, and just playing on top of her demo. Now, has that evolved or did it change anything for going into this, the creation of this, or was it pretty much the same? Uh, no, it was a lot different because uh, for a while, Beth had some writer's block. So she thought, I think part of what spawned this was, so when she did the original Everything Has Changed demo, because that song has a lot of start and stops, I couldn't really play to her demo. So I was like, well, let me re-record the music with the drums and all that in there, and then you can redo the vocal on top of that. And I think when we did that song that way, she was like, oh, it's fun to just sing over something and not have to, you know, be doing my guitar part and stuff. So she asked me if I would be down to write music to send her. So I was like, okay, I've never really done that before. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I've written my own music, but it's more weird, like experimental, like dreamy kind of stuff. I've never written like song song. So I did one which is Graceless Kids, and that's on the record. And she was really into that. So I ended up writing, I did five total songs, and four of them ended up on the record. So, oh, that's wow. incredible. That's great. Awesome. That, was, that was really fun and very nerve-wracking at the same time. Sure, <laughs> yeah. sure. But yeah, it sounded like it, uh, it uh, broke the rut, I guess, right? The, the writer's block. It definitely helped, yeah. 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 Huh. So as a result, is there kind of a overall tone that, came out on this album that differentiates it from previous? Well, the main thing is just the lyrical aspect of it. You know, Beth has had a lot of changes in her life that she's gone through the last couple of years. And the album really does kind of tell the story of like where she was and, you know, where she is now and kind of how she got there and what she's been through. So that's the biggest thing. Musically, I think we, you know, we all, we never want to make the same record twice. And this one, I feel like we expanded off of California nights where on that one, we started to try and branch out in different song forms. And then this one was just like, anything goes like there's a kind of like a psych rock song. There's like a shoegaze one. There's like some straight up ones though. 
some of the ones I wrote were like, there's one that's a big Avril influence song. And then one that's kind of like eighties metal inspired. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so yeah, that was just like, the record is pretty varied, but it doesn't, it's, I feel like there's still like cohesiveness to it. And maybe that's what the lyrics do for it. That makes sense. As far as the production, you guys have always done interesting things. I, I know for your Only Place album, you experimented in Capitol Records' famous echo chambers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, that must have oh, been cool. Man, Can you talk cool. a bit about what those what those are? I know it's not on this new album, but... Yeah, so they're kind of... I think they're under the parking lot. Okay. Capitol Records. They smell like cat piss. For, some reason. <laughs> <laughs> for that reason. Heavy ammonia scent down there. But it's crazy. You... Uh, there's a really scary, just scary because I'm not comfortable going down ladders. But sure. Go down this ladder. And then I think there's seven chambers down there, each of varying sizes and stuff. And yeah, it's very smelly and dank down there. And they have the plate reverbs down there and they have the chambers. And the coolest thing we did was there's a song called Do You Still Love Me Like You Used To? And that one, we chained every chamber together. And so her vocal is going from chamber to chamber. Just nonstop? Yeah, not nonstop, wow. but like in, in the verses, I think we did it that way. Oh, man. And then the other thing we did was we turned the stairwell of Capitol into a chamber. So it was basically like a nine-story chamber. That is oh, so shit. cool. So cool. And we did that on the weekend when no one was there. So we just like, you know, they set up a speaker and a some mics in the at the top of the stairwell oh my oh, god man. and those original ones that are underground i think those are built in the 50s i think les paul actually yep designed them or something had them built or whatever and they they what i had heard was they recorded like uh surfing usa was recorded there too yeah yeah that's insane yeah it was when i cut drums for that album that was the coolest thing it's having the chamber on my mix fader so anytime i wanted i could just crank Oh man! They, they, while I was playing, if I wanted a lot of chamber, I could just <laughs> dial it up instantly, <laughs> which was like so cool to hear. How long are they? The chambers—they're like so, there's some that are like the size of this room, and then there's some that are like a a little bigger. They're not huge though, but there's just something about how they're built that makes them sound that way. Oh, that's cool. They just might get up every so many feet or so. Or wait, with the one we built, or the with the no, the ones that they're existing there. Um, it's just. There's like two mics down there, maybe, or one. And uh, they're just, I think they're always just kind of in the same place. Okay. Wow. And the one speaker. I remember, th- I think there was one that had this really, I was surprised how crappy the speaker in it was. But, <laughs> uh, it probably sounded good. I don't remember which one it was. There was somebody who who built their own chamber, who who like buried a bunch of semi-trucks Oh, wow. Was that uh, Trent Reznor, was it? I think I heard yeah, about right? that. I think it might have been Trent Reznor. <laughs> yeah. uh, he buried New- semi-trucks. Yeah, New Orleans, I think it was. Jeez. Yeah, that's oh, crazy. Oh, yeah. That wouldn't make sense. <laughs> that's insane. So what was the pr- production process like for Always Tomorrow? I know there's a new producer on, on yeah, hand as well. Uh, we worked with Carlos de la Garza, and uh, it was really cool. I mean, the greatest, I mean, not to make his contribution sound small, but like one of the best things, and this is actually really important, is he lives like five minutes from me. Oh, perfect. So, you know, the record before, like having to drive into Hollywood every day (laughs) is a drag and it really does take something out of you. So it was just nice to wake up and like, you know, you're at the studio immediately. You're close to home if you need to do something. 
but he was great. He was just really supportive and had good ideas and helped arrange a couple of the songs. Like, you know, why don't you, uh, you know, just changing chord structures on some things. And he did a lot of keyboard and guitar stuff. And then we also had Justin Meldel Johnson kind of more consulting produce. And he would come in for like an hour or so every day and just kind of hear what we were working on and give his suggestions. Or sometimes he'd go home and do overdubs at his studio and send them to Carlos. And so it was great just getting to work with both of them. It's like, I felt very spoiled having like two really awesome minds helping us with our record. You're going to be kicking off the tour for this February 27th over at the Alibi in Palm Springs, I believe. Yeah. Which is in the venue is built in 1934. Might be haunted. I don't know yeah. for sure. Uh, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> we will see. Beth, Beth is way better at picking up on that stuff. <laughs> do you like, uh, do you enjoy the touring process? Is that something you look forward to? I love it. Yeah. I love sleeping in a bunk. It's like some of the best sleep. Really? Yeah. Huh. I think it's because number one is pitch black. And then two, just the movement is, it's kind of like when you sleep on a boat. Like for me, yeah. sleeping on a boat is like, I get seasick. So my body immediately shuts down Dad, and I in the same way. fall asleep. Yeah. And it's the best, the best, deepest sleep I get. So. That's, <laughs> That's like him. Yeah, I did. We go on a oh, Disney yeah. cruise. Oh, we went wow. on a Disney cruise. I was out for, remember, I think the first one to Hawaii, I was out for, I think three days straight Whoa. sleeping. Just yeah. Sleep. <laughs> we were partying yeah. and he was sleeping <laughs> and it was a great vacation. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. That, that That is weird though. Like you shut down. Yeah. I did that on a marine biology trip. Oh with, shit. With motion sickness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. So I missed God. everything we we're supposed to learn. <laughs> Luckily, my friend took notes, but I just, I didn't give a fuck. Like, yeah. I, I crawled on a seat and got in fetal position and slept the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> so that's you in the bus on the yeah. tour. Yeah, yeah. Do you use that time to catch up on a lot of movie watching as well? Yeah. So I bring a big book, uh, one of those CD wallets. Right, yeah. Movies. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's usually... We don't really go out and party like after shows, like maybe there'll be one night a week or if we're in a town where we have friends that we want to hang out with. But most of the time it's just back on the bus, you know, have a drink, have a snack and, you know, watch some movie. Do you ever find, I mean, is, is it a myth of, I uh, was for you guys writing music on the road? Does that even happen or is your oh, brain no, in a total no, different we spot? We don't even attempt. Like yeah. early on, I used to bring like stuff. I was like, oh, maybe, but no, I, it, and it, I asked John Bryan about that once. It's like, you know, when you were touring, did you write? Cause he writes, you know, all the time he's playing all the time. It's like, did you ever do that? He's like, no, I'd bring the stuff and not touch it once. It's sure. Like, okay, yeah. Okay. I feel better about myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All these people bring like the mobile recording yeah, studio, yeah, like yeah. cut an album on the road. Yeah. It seems like a lot, you know, like yeah. two completely different mindsets. And yeah. Yeah. Well, very cool, man. And you've also got a new project that's going to be rearing its head, I believe in May, right? Kid Bug. Yeah. So that's my friend, Adam Harding, who has another band called Dumb Numbers. And I played on their records too, but, uh, so him and his girlfriend and Thor Harris, they cut all the songs out in, uh, I think they're in Indiana where they did the record. And then he sent it to me and asked me to do bass on it. And, uh, so yeah, I just did it all in my living room and sent it back. And I did some guitar stuff too. And, um, I'm really stoked how it came out and he was really happy. And so yeah, it's cool to do something different. 
because I haven't been doing much music outside of Best Coast that often. So, and how would you describe this new this new stuff? There is a song out there and video <laughs> right now for the Good Inside that people can check out. But how would you describe it? There's some kind of poppier songs, and it kind of reminds me of like early Breeders oh, in a cool. lot of ways. Oh, nice! It's a lot of fuzz bass on it that I did. But yeah, they're just like melodic, but musically kind of like, I don't know, rocking, like fuzzed out kind of pop songs, I guess. Anyone have any more questions? Yeah, for let's Bob? go back to horror for one yeah. last <laughs> Hell <time>. yeah, hell <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd love to know if you would ever like to score a horror movie. Ding, ding. That's um, an awesome question. I don't know. I scored one short once and it was fine. It was a, I'm glad I did it, but, and I mean, it was a long time ago, so maybe... I've changed, but I kind of feel like I probably have it. It was like, <laughs> I hate doing revisions, like, mm. because, and not just in when I did this, but in other things, like, I find like a lot of times the thing you did before was better. And a lot of times they end up using that. So it just feels like busy work. Like, I understand, you know, if you, trying to explore other avenues and stuff, but at the same time it's like you know i did this for a reason and so yeah i think i just i'd just rather not if someone wants to take music i've done and put it in something that i'm into but like composing for picture and stuff i don't think i'm cut out for that like i'd rather just watch movies <laughs> <laughs> nice no i hear you i hear you i just wanted to know if you like going to halloween horror nights or oh, doing yeah. haunts and stuff is that your thing i haven't been to my friends are always trying to get me to go and like when they're doing the walking dead stuff the first year and the shining one those were mm. the two times where i was like i do want to go but i don't know it's like I would probably go to a Disney one, but I don't know. Universal is just, it's too, I can't even describe it. I don't know. It's like too, overstimulating? Is it the crowds and it's stuff? It's the crowds. Yeah. yeah. I think they, I can't deal with the crowds. Like Disney, I'm comfortable there, but I don't know. Going away from home base is a little weird. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But well, luckily they have all those weird, like singular horror experiences now where they like fucking put a bag on your head and oh, yeah. In a room. Those, yeah, no. I could definitely not. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, me neither, actually. Yeah, no way. <laughs> yeah, they, they do some cool stuff that are um that are kind of immersive in smaller controlled groups that I like, like a lot of the immersive horror theater <clears throat> experiences and stuff that are kind of popping up around all over the place, especially in LA that are that are cool to try. We've tried a couple of them before and they've been, they've been amazing delusions. One of them, we bring it up all the time on this, on the show, but, uh, yeah, maybe that, uh, maybe we can bring you out to one of those sometime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, terror. maybe one day I'll go to universal horror. I mean, if they have the right thing, it's like, I haven't totally ruled it out completely. What would be one maze that would get your ass out there? They did the witch. Wow. Oh, that would be cause I love black Phillip so much. Yeah, that's a crazy goat, man. <laughs> um, but I don't even know what that would be because it's like, you know, it'd just be like walking through the woods, kind of, I guess. But, yeah, a bunch of old cabins, like um, you know, turn of the century. They, they would they, make it scary, though. They would yeah, make it worth job, it. Yeah. yeah. Midsummer, that would be. Oh, like, my great. God. Oh, my yeah. God. That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I was so into that movie, especially. I didn't even see the regular cut. I was like, saw the like almost three hour one and. It was awesome. It just like flew by. Nice. And I hope that comes out on Blu-ray 
It is. Oh, the full the full cut? The director's cut? Yeah. yeah. Dir- oh, it really? Is. I think it is. I think just the normal one is out right now. Well, maybe it's maybe I pre-ordered it. Maybe oh, okay. yeah, you've be been I've been pre-ordering like crazy. all this yeah, shit. It's like all this shit shows up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what's here, what's coming. Yeah, I know you lose sight of the dates and stuff. Yeah, Midsummer was awesome. Were you did were you a big uh, Hereditary fan? I enjoyed it, but not to the level of that I enjoyed Midsummer. Really, what was it about Midsummer that? pulled you in i mean just everything number one it's just beautifully shot like yeah when they're in the the celebration town thing it just you see that and you want to be there like it just looks so cool and just you know the slow burn of the story just you know how long it takes to reveal itself and then like when you go back and see like some of the easter egg stuff yeah like, the thing where you see the, the sister on the mountainside in the tr- yeah, like the trees. The plants, yeah, that is next level. Like, yeah. <laughs> see, I've only <laughs> seen it once, so I haven't. I missed oh. all that shit. Yeah, I didn't catch it, but the, the, later online, there's someone posted about it, and you, they posted the still, and I was like, "Wow, that is so awesome and impressive." Yeah, that's a genius. I also think it's interesting because it's probably one of the only horror films that I know of that shot like completely in like blinding light. Yeah. Right. Which is yep. very yeah. unsettling. <sighs> but yeah, I, I like, I like hereditary too, but the midsummer is just like, uh, I don't know. I connected with that more. <sighs> is there any, uh, any upcoming horror film releases that you're really excited about? Um, not really. Nothing like in the theaters, like, but anything Severin puts out mm. or Mondo Macabro, I yeah. pretty much order. Instantly. Like I keep telling Severin, like, please just make a subscription service. Right. Yeah, right? It, would, right. it would make my life so less stressful. Sure, yeah. Like, you don't have to worry about the dates. and, that and they're, they're like, we've talked about it. It's like, you just have to do it yeah. at this point. Yeah. Yeah, right. Be like Severin Plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'll pay the full year up front. Like, just it saves me from hitting refresh a hundred times anytime they do a weird sale. Right. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, man. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for thank joining us. Thank you so us. much yeah. for having me. It was so fun. Oh, it's awesome. Awesome, man. Well, Always Tomorrow available everywhere February 21st and the Always Tomorrow Tour. Coming to your city, bestcoast.net for dates. Thanks again, man. It's awesome. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 109. Special thanks to our guest, Bob Bruno. Follow him at B-O-B-B underscore B-R-U-J-O and best underscore coast on Instagram. At time of release, get Best Coast's new album, Always Tomorrow, everywhere now. And see them on the Always Tomorrow tour throughout this year. Dates at bestcoast.net. Music for this episode by Best Coast. Production tracks provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening. Listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast. Network. Bye. 
the bloody disgusting podcast network home of the boo crew for horror-centric interviews scp archives weekly full cast storytelling horror queers genre commentary from an lgtbq perspective and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts